Hey, Nora. Hey, Sandy. Oh, my God. Did you hear the news? Is it one million kind of news? Oh, a million. Mm, no. Oh. Well, did you hear that news? <laughs> I mean, okay, let's, let's do my news and we can do yours. Okay. <laughs> What's your news? Okay, it's not my news. Um, the Canadian men are going to the World Cup. <laughs> Sorry, but they just beat Jamaica. Sorry, what? <laughs> yeah, the Canadian men's soccer team, uh, just two days after Italy didn't make the World Cup qualifier, which is wild because they, they just won the Euro Cup two years ago. Canada is going to the World Cup for the first time since 1986. Canada's men's soccer team. It's so amazing. You know, I only um, care about the World Cup when Jamaica's in it, which is <laughs> not that often. So Which <laughs> is <laughs> not happening. I don't care. So uh, great, I guess. Yeah, it's Yay. good. It's a beautiful game, Sandy. Uh, sure. Okay. Sure. Yeah. Uh, yes, of course. It's a beautiful game. Uh, congratulations to all of the people who care, <laughs> who are listening. <laughs> okay. But my news, do you know what my news is? I think you do. A million, a million, a million, um, a million reasons to not go to war. Huh. I do have those, but it's going to take a long time to read over the air. <laughs> so no, it is not that. It is that Sandy and Nora, this, this little podcast, <gasps> this little podcast <laughs> has reached 1 million downloads. What? Can you believe it? No. Can you believe it? No. I, I oh so little God. believe it that I forgot. And I, <laughs> all I've been thinking about is the World Cup. <laughs> I know. You were definitely way more excited about this earlier this week when we were talking about it. <laughs> I definitely thought that's what you were going to start with. Um, but yes, dear listeners, we have reached 1 million. And I feel like at this point also, I have to say, man, Nora, remember all those years ago when you were like, Sandy, we should start a podcast. And I was like, no one will ever care or want to <laughs> listen to that. <laughs> I do remember that. And do you remember how bad the first episode was that we never aired? I don't remember it. You've, you've said that to me several times, uh, but I don't remember it. Should we, uh, in celebration, share that that really bad episode? <laughs> no. Probably not. No, what the fuck? <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, it was just very awkward. And we had a guest, which was the like, time that we realized we probably shouldn't have any guests. <laughs> uh, amazing that we have hit one million. I am feeling so grateful to all of you who join us uh, weekly for, for these podcasts. And I mean, I feel like we should do something to celebrate. So maybe we should just throw that out to the audience and say, like, what should mm. we do to celebrate? How should we celebrate yes. a million downloads? Um, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for coming back every week. Yes, I would love to hear ideas because I'm totally out of them. Um, and so... Sandy Nora, do one million. Wow. And I should say, too, you know, we've been doing this for five years. Have we been doing this for five years? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Um, and so that means if you're a new listener, I mean, there's a lot of fucking Sandy Nora that you got to listen to still um, that uh, can just fill endless road trips. But, you know, the first couple of years was a pretty small community of listeners, which was great. And I know a lot of you folks are still very much around. Um and the content of the show never changed, but, you know, just slowly we were able to get into more ears. And so 
we, you know, the, the, the second half of that million ha- happened in the last year and a half. Like it's been pretty quick. Um, and so like, thank you to everybody. Like, wow. As Sandy, you were just saying, and, um, here's to another million and yeah, get, let's, let's do something before we hit 10 million. And we're like, holy shit, like that happened faster than we thought. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And let's just continue on this gratitude and love train. Uh, who do we have to thank this week? This week, we have to thank Sophia, Heather, Zivi, Mark, Jess, and Ryan. Thank you to you who have just named, to everybody who I haven't named, everyone who listens, everyone who made that million <laughs> downloads possible. And uh, keep telling your friends because... As you're going to hear tonight, you will get political analysis here that you can't get anywhere else. That was my like WWF like voice. <laughs> it was pretty bad. It didn't really sound like a WWF voice, but I suppose good attempt. I mean, I just called it the WWF. Like that's how fucking much I watch wrestling, right? So <laughs> Yeah, because it's WWE now, right? I don't know. Yeah, because ever since the, 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 they were putting pandas in the ring to fight, the, 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 the people were like, that's not cool. So they had to go away from the WWF branding. Right. Pandas in the ring. (laughs) Anyway, y'all, a lot of news happened this week. (laughs) A lot of news is continuing to happen this week. As we're recording this, I'm just seeing that um, the Ontario government has finally uh, announced a $10 a day childcare just in time for the elections coming up. Not cynical at all, but who could have saw that coming? Yep, but you know we don't even have time to really get into that because of all of the stuff that we have to talk about this week. So, as most of you could probably guess, Nora and I have some thoughts. We have a few thoughts, some opinions about the NDP liberal uh, agreement that was announced this week. But before we get there, I think we we should talk very briefly about what happened at my union this week. Yeah, our union. (laughs) Our union. So Nora and I are members of a union called Unifor. And there was quite the news that came out this week about its, well, its former president, now former president, Jerry Diaz. Yes. And so Jerry Diaz was the first president of Unifor. The union was founded nine years ago or eight and a half years ago, I guess, um, in after a merger between two other unions, the auto workers and the communications energy paper workers union. And Diaz has been quite um, a, a figure. Um, he's uh, very loud and has taken up a lot of space in media. Like he's, you know, he's an effective communicator and journalist. like, you know, will we'll pay attention to what he's saying. And it comes out that he was taking early retirement. This was the announcement that was made in early January. Slowly, though, that's the story that it starts to change. And Oh, actually, he's being investigated by the National Executive Board uh, for impropriety of some kind, for violating the Unifor Constitution. Last week, it comes out what that violation was. And I think that there's two stories here. So let's let's try to talk about this, this story separately, because I think that they both merit their own discussions. So the first is that you've got a union president who gets caught getting a kickback from a company for promoting that company's uh, services, I guess, to employers of the union's membership. And so we don't know which employers 
Um, the, the kickbacks were $50,000 when he told uh, one of his executive assistants, so like the highest staff people in the union, uh, they, they work very closely with the, the executive leadership, that he had this money uh, and this individual was like, holy shit, I'm going to have to report that. He's like, oh, no, take $25,000 and shut up. And that staff person was like, no. Uh, and so then this triggers this investigation. You know, it's not in the hands of police. So the investigation is held under the code of conduct or the code of ethics for the union and the investigator. Nora, just before you continue, the staff person was actually like, yes, apparently. So uh, he goes, he accepts this. He accepts the money. He says no initially. Then he accepts the money. And the report is that he accepted the money because he was nervous about what would happen if he didn't accept the money that day. And then he reports it. Ah, thank you. And so uh, it gets investigated and Unifor discovers, um, not with no involvement of the company or of the president, but the investigator says on the balance of probabilities, it's likely that this all happened the way that the staff person um, said that it happened. And so Dias is then out. Um, and so that has huge implications for the union itself. And there's going to be a, a snap convention because it's held outside of the convention period of, of 120 days. That would be the only reason that you could get away a, a without having a snap convention a convention to deal with this. But the other issue, which I, I think that is probably more interesting to Sandy Nor listeners uh, who are not uniform members or who are not involved in the, in the labor movement, is what the company was. And so maybe, Sandy, you want to take that part of the story. Well, this is what I find really interesting is that so much of the news that's covering this um, isn't doing a lot of like, who was this company? Like, what is going on? Like, what is this company? I has I don't think anyone's reported yet what the company was, which company it was. No. And so that's a major concern. A lot of the focus has been on um, uh, Jerry Diaz's personal um, health problems um, and this sort of, uh, you know, it seems like they're trying to connect um, a substance use issue with this um, a sort of uh, breach of ethics, which is problematic in all sorts of ways and really focusing on that as part of the story. But I'm just like, so, OK, who the story is wild, like the cash, the, the, the money was offered in cash, like cash money uh, and cologne apparently um <laughs> and it's like can we maybe try to find out which company it was that is offering these rapid tests that is doing this that offered this to jerry diaz can we try to find out whether that company has done that to maybe more than just unifor can we try to find out whether this has happened to other with other companies like uh, shouldn't that be the big story like the not just the corruption at Unifor which we should all be quite frustrated with but the corruption in these uh, private health provider companies and how they're trying to get a leg up in uh, in the Canadian health uh, world I mean mm -hmm. that's a major major issue and I mean, I that's an investigation I would like to see because um, mm -hmm. what the fuck is going on there? Yeah. And so I, and I, I didn't say what the company was. And so I'm not sure if, if folks had been following this conversation up to now and we went, whoa, 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 what? So it was it was rapid testing, a rapid testing company that gave him this fifty thousand dollars to try and convince certain employers who are in uniform shops to use these tests. And we can imagine, you know, 
in the press conference that Unifor had, there was a reporter from a Detroit-based newspaper asking if the employers were any of the auto workers or the auto industry employers, which is a question that you would expect someone from Detroit to ask. And also a question that makes a lot of sense because Jerry comes from that world and, and you know, the leadership at Unifor is very close to the auto uh, sector for a whole bunch of uh, different reasons. Um, but we do not know what the sector is. But not knowing what that company is and then, and knowing that it that no way was this the first time on either side, either with Dias or with this company that like you don't start doing corruption at $50,000 over rapid tests for COVID. That's a pattern. And so on the side of Dias, like, I don't know how that's going to shake down within Unifor. And I'm I'm obviously watching that very, very closely. But there's no reason for Unifor to not name this company because we fucking need to know. Uh, As we've talked on this show before, there's a lot of money that has been um, made over this pandemic and private uh, services, private companies trying to break into markets are going to use these kinds of like gross tactics to try and get their 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 product placed in front of us. And so my in- immediate questioning that I have is like, okay, so I have these green boxes of rapid tests. I think that those are pretty much the common tests that I'm seeing in Ontario as well. So these are the tests that were get- given from the government of Quebec, whether through schools or through pharmacies. Like, what are the details behind these companies? Why was this the company that was chosen? How did that all work? Why were there not, like, many different kind of rapid test companies? Because, you know, they started to spring up. And uh, and so, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I Like, it sounded as if, like, there's a possibility for a police investigation that, you know, you know Unifor didn't really say that that was not going to happen. And that would be a separate kind of process, I guess. But man, oh, man, do we need to know who this company is? Yeah, very interesting decision to not release that the the name of the company and um i hope it's because there's a planned release at some point with more information or something like that but i i certainly hope that unifor doesn't intend to um you know protect this company who's been who is uh one side of this complicated well it's not complicated actually who's one side Mm -hmm. of this awful ethical quagmire Yes. So, you know, if you're a union uh, leader, don't do corruption. It's fucking not good for anybody. And if you feel the urge to do corruption, at least make it a rocking chair so that you can go, oh, I wasn't paying anything. I just I just got a rocking chair out of out of it. (laughs) Jesus. Yeah. Now, that was a good pivot. Was it? What, What rocking chair are you talking about? Oh, oh, maybe it's not that obvious. Okay, sorry. I'm just thinking of like that time where a national political party leader was uh, pictured on Instagram in a rocking chair, you know, and that wasn't a kickback. That wasn't a kickback. That was just a fucking new chair, right? I totally forgot about Uh, that. Okay, that was a good pivot. I apologize for fucking it up. That was a good pivot. That was a good pivot. (laughs) Okay, so if you haven't heard, I hope we're not the first to tell you. I was quite frustrated that this was announced at the beginning of last week so that we couldn't have spoken about it. That was disrespectful to do it it on Tuesday. It was so disrespectful. The day that our podcast comes out, already irrelevant. Very annoying. Um, yes, so the the Liberals and the NDP federally have announced that they have this uh, agreement. They're calling it a what agreement? I mean, the Conservatives are calling it a coalition government, which is hilarious because, I mean, that would make sense if the NDP had negotiated at least a cabinet position or two. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But they haven't. What they have agreed to is what they are calling 
It's like a ways and means coalition or a, 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 a give and take alliance, uh, a, a, a sucking and blowing pact. <laughs> oh, God. I, I, I think it's that. A supply and confidence agreement. OK, so that's literally sucking and blowing. It is. <laughs> like blowing and sucking. I'm sorry. <laughs> OK, so the NDP and the liberals have announced um, a supply and confidence agreement. The night that it was announced, what uh, was broken in the news and the breaking news was that uh, the NDP and the liberals have agreed to uh, the NDP have agreed to support the liberal government, um, I guess, you know, which is in a minority government situation like we have right now, meaning that the NDP will agree to prop up the government for three years until 2025 and will not vote, essentially won't trigger an election on major issues. And in return, the liberals have agreed to implement some form of socialized dental care and will work towards progress for (laughs) pharmacare. But you forgot the biggest promise. What's the biggest promise? That the next election day will be spread over three days, just in case we all want to go back to student union politic days. (laughs) Well, yes. Okay. So, okay, let's talk about these major issues. But before we get there, I just want to say, like, I immediately upon seeing this, I was like, what the fuck? If, If they are going to give away the one power that they have in the House, which is very important power. They are The NDP is the balance of power in the House, oftentimes. Um, it's not always going to be them. Sometimes it could be you know, someone else, um, some other party. But oftentimes they're going to be the balance of power in the House, which means they have a lot of negotiating power. If they are giving away that negotiating power, the ability to say, um, you must change this or we will call an election... They should get something major out of it. They should get a coalition government where they're going to have a little bit more power. They should get a a guarantee of not even just a guarantee, like the implementation of proportional representation to ensure that power will be spread in the future. Like if you're going to give away power, get some power out of it. But they didn't get that. And we didn't even get specifics on these agreements, like what these programs are going to look like. And that is stunning to me, stunningly outrageous to me that they would give that away, especially right now, especially right now. Like in the next three years, you better believe the climate crisis is going to get worse. In the next three years, everything that has been all the discussion that has been going on worldwide about oil and what Canada's response is going to be with respect to oil, like you're going to you better believe that's going to be a major issue. The fact that we are coming out of an economic situation caused by this pandemic that is not yet over, that if we are looking at what has been done in the past in moments like these, means that we are headed into a period of really intense austerity. The fact that the NDP would give up their negotiating power at that moment. And also, the government is talking about spending millions and millions and millions more on defense spending, on war. Billions more. Billions and billions. And the NDP is giving away their negotiating power. I just, I like for maybe pharmacare and a little bit of dental care, I just, I can't. 
I mean, we're going to talk about the specifics that we do know, which make this makes that even more frustrating. But I just, uh, I, I can't begin to explain how deep of a fuck up I think that this is. Huge. <laughs> but Sandy, Jagmeet said that, that they can withdraw their Nora. supply <laughs> at any moment. Nora. Or is it their confidence? <laughs> I don't even know what those two words mean in this context. <laughs> it's very frustrating. <laughs> it, it It is... It's I okay. So like, there's two ways to look at it. One, you can say the the NDP is a functioning party that uh, should be able to see these things, and this is a disappointment because they fucked up. The other way is that it's like the NDP is a joke. They don't really exist uh, as an entity. Uh, certainly not the entity that they claim to be uh, from years past, and this is totally like exactly to be expected. And I've seen a lot of lefties taking that approach, being like, well, what the fuck? What would you expect? Right. And it's like, I agree, obviously, like you can't you can't get mad at a dog for not fucking flying. Right. But you can't get mad at a dog for not fetching for not what? <laughs> like doing the one thing fetching, like throwing a stick and not running after that right. stick. Right. Like the, as you say, like the only power that the NDP has as an opposition is this threat of taking down the government. And it's not like it, it's not like, you know, the, there's supposed to be this bastion of left thought or anything like this. It's like literally the only the only purpose that they can serve is is challenging power in that way. And instead, they've handed that power over to the liberals. And this is, you know, the, the, the conservatives are freaking out saying that these are like this is a socialist backdoor socialism or whatever the hell. Um, but it, it is like offensive from the perspective of anybody that understands how parliamentary democracy should work unless you're a fucking dyed in the wool liberal. And of course, there's been a ton of liberals who've been like licking their lips over this, loving this agreement <laughs> for obvious reasons. And then you have um, NDP um, hacks or MPs making this deal into something that it's not. So, you know, like all being very proud that they got a shout out for Bernie Sanders for introducing universal, a, a step towards universal dental care. It's not going to happen. It's literally... <laughs> But it's literally not. It's a step away from it and towards mean testing. These yes. things are opposite. Yes. They are not fucking degra like gradations on a fucking scale. Like that the, the 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 lack of understanding of politics right now is very, very annoying. And of course, dear listeners, you are not among those people. You are the ones that know what's up, right? <laughs> or at least hopefully you know a little bit of what's up. Uh and 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 we should be calling this out. It's like the, the, we have a shitty first-past-the-post system that only works when you have operational opposition. And in some places, opposition parties are able to get stuff done. And I come from Quebec where that is routinely the case. The CAC has actually had a bunch of its legislation not actually passed, not, not passed, but they ended up withdrawing it because of the levers that the opposition party pulled to try and sink whatever piece of legislation that they wanted to pass. And I'm thinking of a couple of examples that are a little bit too wonky. Like there is a bill around construction and something else. And it was like, anyway, the, the CAC could have done it. They have, they have a majority. They could have done anything they want and it sank. But for me, what's so interesting is that Justin Trudeau very, very clearly and his whole government really hate, they hated being in that minority. 
They really hated not having the power to throw around their weight whenever they needed to. And they hated having to um, be reactive or responsive to the other power parties. And you can see this. You can see this in how he's challenged and the way that he responds to being challenged. You can see when he lashes out. You can see it. You can hear it in Christian Freeland's voice. And the NDP's just like, hey, Justin, we're just going to make this like exactly what you want. And in exchange, we'll take fuck all. How's that sound for a deal? Yeah. Oh, God, it's so frustrating. So why don't we talk about the dental care program? Because, uh, I mean, you started to, to talk uh, a little bit about how it is not a step towards universal dental care. I agree that it is not a step towards universal health dental care. And so let me tell you what we know so far about what this program is. I suppose we will get more information about what this program is when the budget is released, but this is what we know so far. It's a new dental care program that is being billed as for low-income Canadians, which is a signal to, to everyone following along that this is going to be means-tested somehow. Is there a definition of low-income Canadians? Not really, but this is, this is how uh, it's going to be um, implemented. It says, uh, first of all, it's going to start with those who are 12 years old and younger in 2022. It will then expand to 18-year-olds, seniors, and people living with disabilities in 2023, and then full implementation by 2025 and importantly, and here's the piece where it's like not a universal program, it's going to be restricted to families with incomes of less than $90,000 annually. There's nothing else here about like how many kids these families have, um, what sort of stressors these families are under. You know, if you have been here for a while listening to Sandy and Nora, you know that these sorts of means testings, they don't work. They don't work. They're kind of schemey plans that really are usually put at a baseline for who, how people support particular parties in elections. But suffice it to say that if you have like five children and your family, your family household brings in, say, 90,000, that's going to make your reality different than someone else who has zero children and has a sole income of $90,000. That doesn't necessarily mean that that sole individual is less needy because you don't know what the fuck is going on in their lives. <laughs> People have different stressors going on in their lives and income doesn't tell us much about what people need. It's kind of why we have a progressive taxation system. But even worse, even worse, Nora, is that there is another level, there's another tier here that they've added, which is that between $70,000 and $90,000 of income, families or households or uh, however, they're, they're on the NDP's announcement, they're calling it families who make um, between $70,000 and $90,000, there's going to be a copay. Mm, very progressive. There's going to be a copay for this program. <laughs> I... I I am so frustrated by this. I mean, it's either you believe in universality and a progressive taxation system to fund uh, social programs to ensure uh, that everybody gets what they need to, to support a social safety net, or you 
don't. This sort of schemey um, implementation, what it guarantees is that in the future, we're always going to be talking about that amount. Yeah. We know this because every single time this sort of thing has been implemented, that it, it never goes towards universality in the future. What happens in the future is you debate, should it be $90,000? Should it be $60,000? Should it be $125,000? And you start to debate who is suffering enough, who is suffering uh, at an okay level, and who is not suffering at all by this marker of income that does not tell you a lot about what people need. Mm-hmm. Well, and I read this as someone who is just at the dentist with my kids and, uh, oh, in Quebec, we have universal dental coverage for children. It's not based on income and we just pay with our health card. <laughs> so it's like... So what you're saying is this whole program that was announced for all of Canada doesn't include Quebec. Okay. So where else does it not include? Uh, Nova Scotia has a similar program and every province has something for low income families. And so there's programs that are either run provincially or municipality into the municipality that actually does cover the cost of dental care for the lowest income children. So this promise right off the bat is so fucking cynical because it already exists. It's just like you fucking assholes. It already exists. And then it's even more expanded in provinces like Quebec and Nova Scotia, where where we do have universal um, children uh, dental care. And so it's it's really like the, it's the cynical part of all of this that, that I think is just the most um, poisonous and disgusting about it because people will get their hopes up. People will um, be excited because they need the relief and they need the help. And I don't really think anybody should be betting on this coming to fruition at all. Uh, certainly the Pharmacare program, everything stops in 2025. And for full implementation, the liberals would need to get reelected. And then the NDP has to ask themselves, well, what the fuck position do they put themselves in there being like, well, it's our it's because of us that they gave us the deal. It's like, yeah, but if we vote liberal, then there won't be any weird shaky coalition. They'll just be the liberals implementing what they've already started. Sorry, NDP, we're not going to vote for you. Like, there's just no justification to keep the NDP there. If all they're doing is propping up the liberals, the next election, people are just going to vote liberal. I mean, it's just as simple as that. Um, and, and you can go through the rest of them. There's, there's environmental promises. There's, there's democracy promises. But as they say, they're completely thin and weird, um, you know, promising that Quebec's not going to lose any seats. It's like, OK, like, I mean, were you going to redraw the entire electoral map? Like, what does that actually mean? Should Quebec be losing seats, like on in terms of a representation by population? Like, actually, what, 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 what? Um, and most of it all fits into the liberal um, platform as it is. But you know, there's stuff here like um, introduce anti scab legislation, which a lot of uh, labor activists have been like, oh, finally, anti scab legislation for the federal industries. By the end of 2023, it's like, why wouldn't they just stick that into the budget if they're serious? Why can they just stick that into the fucking upcoming budget? Why was it? Why will it take a year and a half to come up with anti-scab legislation? It's fucking there's there, we've had it before. Well, it, it, it would be very easy to write. <laughs> like This is ridiculous. Um, it's it's unbelievable how little the NDP sold out over on this deal. I mean, the climate stuff is really I mean, given given what has happened in the last few years um, in uh, particular communities uh, being, you know, flooding, um, being completely incinerated, right? Like, I mean, we're in uh, pretty dire straits right now with respect to needing um, government action on the climate. What they agreed to was 
was the liberal fucking platform advancing measures to achieve significant emissions reductions by 2030 compared to 2005. Continuing to identify ways to accelerate the trajectory to achieve net zero emissions no later than 2050. Developing a plan to phase out financing of the fossil fuel sector, including early moves in 2022. What the fuck does that mean? Early moves. Every time the liberals promise something using effusive language like that, it doesn't fucking happen. So I'm not sure what about this particular uh, supply and confidence agreement makes it more likely that this is going to happen. Is it the case that if there are no early moves in 2022 to phase out the funding of the fossil fuel industry, that the NDP is going to trigger an election? Is that what this, this plan means? What do you think, Nora? What do you think? Let's talk about that. Let's talk about what the political like undertones of all of this uh, disagreement are. I think that's probably the most important part of this conversation. Before we get there, though, I do also want to note that there was a section on reconciliation. And it doesn't explicitly reference the calls to action on truth and reconciliation. It doesn't specifically reference the final report on murdered and missing Indigenous women and girls. It talks about accelerating the implementation of the federal pathways to addressing murdered and missing Indigenous women and girls. Uh, which is like, again, this these weasel words around you already have the plan and you've committed to implementing the full fucking plan. Why is why is this even part of an agreement? This is embarrassing. And the NDP's like, yeah, we're we're OK with this. Not only are we OK with this, but this is going to be this is worth. I mean, this is the thing that people also need to keep in mind. It isn't. It isn't uh, means-tested dental care in uh, in isolation. It isn't uh, pharmacare uh, likely heavily uh, organized around Morneau Chappelle. Um, you know, maybe setting up the liberals to have this big juicy promise for the 2025 election. It isn't just that. It's that this is happening in exchange for a 16 billion dollar injection into the, to, to Canada's military. Mm-hmm. Like that mm-hmm. is the calculation that, that yes. this is exchange. This is blood fucking money from the NDP, a party that not that long ago. I mean, this is where people are like, what do you expect? The NDP sucks. It's like, yeah, the NDP fucking sucks. And I haven't voted for the NDP uh, in years and years and years and years and years, like maybe fucking almost two decades. But they still were the reason we didn't go to Afghanistan. Right. They're still the reason that we were able to to, to almost take down the Harper government over uh, the, the, the transfer of Afghan detainees like there was there was some stuff that the NDP, even in its minority situation, was able to do when it came to questions of war. And, and, and for this, the blood money that they've extracted from the NDP for their fucking silence and support to, to, to fucking pour more money into the Canadian fucking armed forces, this piece of shit abusive, rife with sexual harassment and abuse fucking organization is the liberal platform. Yeah, it's, oh gosh, it is so frustrating. I start, initially there were, uh, the news reports were saying Justin Trudeau won't say if the this deal will impact military spending, but it's like, of course, of course it will. Of course There's it no will. There's no way it couldn't. Of course yeah. it will. And now he is saying, and uh, Singh has now confirmed that the NDP will not oppose higher defense spending as a result of this deal. And Justin Trudeau has confirmed that this deal um, will not 
uh, stop them from spending what they want to spend on, on, on the military. So this is, that is the subtext behind this deal, which is, oh my God, it's, um, it's really devastating. It's really devastating. It's, uh, I mean, you know, as you say, there are a lot of people who responded with like, yeah, of course, the NDP is doing this because look at what the NDP is. But there is, as you say, like a set of principles that you would expect from the NDP. And one of those principles is that they would have some ability to use their negotiating power um, to use the heart of what the NDP is supposed to be to speak about how Canada engages on a world stage with respect to war. And uh, I mean, I guess not, because they haven't so far <laughs> in, this, in this current p- uh, p- uh, particular situation, and now they have confirmed that they won't. And that is, um, uh, gosh, to not have a political, a major political party in Canada who is going to be speaking from a place of anti-war principles on this stuff is going to be a a major issue in the next few years Um, and just a generally a major uh, political hole uh, in Canada. It's already a political hole. The fact that there are not people to speak to, um, to say, to give the anti-war perspective that other countries fucking have. Like, this is really stunning. And I, I just can't believe that this is happening. Yeah. OK, so let's talk about the actual politics of this deal outside of the of the of the demands within it. Uh, first things first, I don't know if you've seen this, but there's this incredible narrative that NDP staffers and then Susan Delacorte juicing that this whole thing was delivered, like was 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 conjured up because Jagmeet had just had his first child. Did you hear this, Sandy? No, I haven't heard this. So here's the origin story of this deal. And this is supposed to make us feel like not absolutely fucking wretchedly worse. Okay. So, so Jugmeet has his first child, I guess it was, you know, in early 2022 or whatever. I, I don't know. Whenever they got that chair and like that rocking chair, not some sort of government chair. And yeah, got it. <laughs> Justin Trudeau, I just want to make sure we're on the same page with that chair. Justin Trudeau calls up Jugmeet and is like, Hey, man, um, I'm a dad, too. And Jagmeet's like, oh, cool. That's so awesome. I know. And Justin's like, you know, being a dad's really tough. And Jagmeet's like, I'm just so in love with my kid. I I don't know how tough it's going to get. And Trudeau's like, you'll never fall out of love with your kid, man. You'll always love your kid. And that's the foundation for this agreement. Sorry, I don't understand how that is the foundation. What do you mean? Like, how does that lead to the... Because they were talking they, in the aftermath of the birth of, of, of Jagmeet's child, they were talking and two dads that care about the future of Canada came together to, 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 to hash out this this deal. This is what Susan, Susan Delacourt in the Toronto Star details. This is what I've seen NDP staffers detail on, on Facebook. And it's like, are we supposed to believe that? Are we supposed to fucking actually believe that that's how politics works uh, and, and ignore the fact that in the NDP caucus, it wasn't a majority. It wasn't a unanimous vote. So I'd be very curious to know which of the NDP members voted against it. And folks, you should let us know. You should DM us. You're totally going to be private. We know lots of secrets and we keep those secrets. Um, And uh, NDP staffers on Tuesday morning when the agreement was reached late Monday night were like, wow, I came into the office this morning and found out about this deal. 
It's like, sorry, so what is even the mechanism in the party to fucking drop something like this? You certainly didn't poll your members. You're not poll. I mean, you didn't have your members engage in a democratic process. That's out of the question. Uh, It wasn't a unanimous support for the caucus. And so now you've got a bunch of MPs who are going to be eating so much shit as they vote in favor for fucking giving more resources to NATO. Uh, and it was all done in the guise of just two dads, like, you know, get, getting it on, getting it on, <laughs> getting <laughs> it on, I guess, <laughs> getting on with it. <laughs> That's what I was trying to say. Getting on with it to just do what's in the best interest for Canadians. That is um, a really unbelievable and, uh, dare I say, ridiculous narrative for whatever PR person came up with that, that's that's ridiculous. <laughs> oh my God. It sucks. Yeah. It sucks so bad. Like, who, who's buying this other than liberals who are just so happy about this deal? Oh, man. I hate this. I hate everything about this. What? But let's be let's be very let's let's be very clear. The the only when we say there's nothing in it for the NDP, that's not exactly true. There is one very big thing that is in it for the NDP, and that is they don't have to go to an election. And they have cover to not go to an election and they can focus on Ontario in June 2022 and then in Alberta in 2023. That is what's in it for the NDP. And it is so fucked and so cynical, and it's their own fucking fault that they haven't ever organized properly and they have never fixed their finances to be able to run multiple elections. And because of this, we're just going to stumble towards fucking massively over overfunding our fucking military while going down a path of means testing uh, for social services in the exact opposite direction of what the fucking fundamental principles of this fucking shit party are. That is what I'm so, so angry by. And I think that people need to be talking a lot more about this, like, um, phobia that the NDP has related to elections. And it's such a short term uh, way to think about uh, electoral strategy. It is such a short term way, because the other thing that I'm sure they're thinking about um, with with just a little bit more longer term is that they're going to be able to say in the election in 2025, we brought you pharmacare, we bought you dental care, which no one is going to think of it that way because the liberals are going to be saying it and they're going to be more right (laughs) so because they're going to be the ones who did it. Uh, Whatever version, whatever schemey version of it uh, is implemented in the next three years slash not implemented what is promised in budget 2025 that will serve as the election campaign for 2025 because that's how it's going to (laughs) happen. So fuck. Yeah. Great. Thanks a lot. Thanks a lot. There's no way they're going to let you um, uh, NDP folks claim that as your victory. It's not going to work. No, no, no. And they're smarter than you, right? Like I I felt like I was watching this scene between the fucking like Wesley and Vizzini from The Princess Bride where Vizzini's laughing his brains out that he tricked Wesley and then he dies, right? And it's like, no, like you, you guys are playing against the masters. The liberals are nothing if not clever, masterful, sh- shitty fucking politicians that are going to be out for saving their asses above all else and making sure that people are given like some level of shaft. <laughs> like that's all, that's all they stand for. That's what they exist for. Um, and pay very close attention to the folks juicing this narrative in the mainstream press that says that the liberals are now going far to the left, which is a completely manufactured left-wing talking point. It's being peddled by folks like Paul Wells. And I've seen it uh, in other places uh, talking about like Wayne fucking Easter. I don't even know why the fuck we even care what he has to say, but he was on CBC radio last week saying this as well. He's a former liberal, um, liberal uh, cabinet minister. And it's like, 
don't we cannot allow them to own any space on the left like liberals are not left wing like they're not even kind of left wing the the ndp is barely left wing um and so what's what's very fascinating is like left wing politics are very popular people are struggling they understand that they need things um that they need that they need support from collective structures whether that's government or other kinds of collective means of organizing of organizing ourselves and so I guess, you know, now is the time where we need to look outside of, par- of partisan politics. I and mean, we always need to look outside of partisan politics, I think. But especially now and be like, fuck this little game that they're pulling. We now have at- we have one person in the House of Commons, maybe on the left, who's willing to fucking like stand up, maybe. And I'm thinking of um, the one new green <laughs> member, which is not even fair because I'm like, you know, that's a lot of pressure to be on an individual in a caucus that's like fucking split between another piece of shit right winger. Um, and that's it. And so we just have to like, not, I don't even know, like not pay attention to partisan politics for a while at all. Yeah. God. I mean, here's one final political note that I think is really important for our, our listeners to understand If there was a strong anti-war movement in Canada, this move by the NDP would be impossible. They would not have been able to make this sort of promise without being completely eviscerated uh, everywhere for stepping out of the conversation on um, what what Canada does with its military, given what's happening uh, right now on a world stage. That's one. And if we had a really strong labor movement, this would also be impossible because we wouldn't allow for this sort of cynical way of engaging uh, what is low income uh, to continue on such a massive scale with massively important social programs like dental care and pharmacare. And so this is what happens when we're not organized. This is what happens when we don't have... Um, these really strong um, movements uh, in our country. And uh, this has to be corrected. And as I said last week, uh, I'm uh, thinking about this and uh, am moving on to organizing something, so stay tuned. Uh, but it's just, it would, it really and truly would be impossible to do this if there were people at the ready, ready to, to make sure that the NDP paid for for making this sort of move. And so we've got to make sure that we create that sort of atmosphere moving forward. 